Our reading this morning is from uh, Genesis 27, verses uh, 1 to 40. When Isaac was old, and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say, go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat, so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's riches, richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? 
I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for these words from the Bible that you wrote uh, in times past, the events that you oversaw and that you uh, planned and purposed. And Father, we pray that as we think about them, as we reflect on them now, that your words would speak to us, that you would challenge us, convict us, that you would correct us, that you would train us in righteousness so that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Father, we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, nobody likes missing out. Uh, I remember the days at school when someone in the class had a party and everybody else would seem to be invited and everyone else would seem to be going uh, except for you. You didn't get the invite and you waited kind of hopefully day after day that perhaps uh, it had been misplaced, it had been lost in the mail. No, uh, it never came, you weren't invited. Uh, or think of the child who spends the day at a friend's house only to come home and to, to discover that while they've been out, the rest of the family has gone out to get ice cream and they missed out. Why did you go when I wasn't there? I remember playing football when I was in Geelong. Playing football when I was in Geelong. I never intended to play football, but in the middle of one season, the team that one of my colleagues uh, played for, Geelong West, Geelong West Blues, they had no players. And he said, we're desperate. We need someone to play. Uh, And so I, I, after much uh, convincing, I rocked up, I went, and I, and I played the last few games of their season. I thought, oh yeah, this is a bit of fun, I'll keep going, I'll, I'll go through the pre-season. I went through the pre-season, months and months of running, doing not much but running, played the practice games, first game of the season comes, all these other people came out of the woodwork from nowhere, not picked Next week, not picked. Next week, not picked. The humiliating experience of of week after week not being picked, missing out uh, on playing for the team until my farewell game where they let me play. Uh, That was ridiculous. (laughs) Everyone's like, who is this guy who's playing today for this farewell game? Never seen him before in my life. Nobody likes to miss out. Uh, Missing out is so painful, we even have a new acronym for it, don't we? FOMO, the fear of missing out. Uh, It's a powerful motivator. 
Nobody likes missing out. And Genesis 27 is a story about one guy, Esau, who missed out. And it's about his younger brother and his mother conspiring against him to see that he misses out and, to they, and, and that they would get what is coming to them. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time today, we've been working through the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, and we've seen how God created the world but, uh, and God created the world good, but how it has been plunged into sin and chaos because we as human beings have rejected the authority of God. We've seen despite that, despite uh, what we've done, that God promised to put the world right and that he promised to put the world right through a descendant of this man named Abraham. Abraham was not a a special man. He uh, He wasn't a great man. But God chose Abraham to be the ancestor of his own son, Jesus Christ, uh, through whom God would put the world right, through whom God would fix the world. Now in our trip through Genesis, we're in Genesis chapter 27, and that man Abraham has died, and we're following the, uh, the, the, the story of his descendants. Uh, we're following the story of Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, and their two sons, Jacob and Esau. Isaac, Abraham's son, is old, he's about to die himself, and before he goes uh, to his death, he wants to officially hand over his possessions, his inheritance, to uh, his oldest son Esau. So he calls Esau in and he tells him that he's uh, wanting to do this, but that first Esau should go out into the field to find some food, bring it back, make a nice meal, and, uh, and they'll make a bit of an evening of this blessing experience. Uh, And so Esau, expectant, hopeful, goes out hunting to find something to eat. But unknown to him, his mother and uh, Isaac's wife is listening at the door. She's plotting. She has other ideas. She wants to do something else. Uh, You might remember that Rebecca and Isaac were playing favourites with their children. So they had two sons and Isaac loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. And they were kind of splitting the family up because of their, uh, their kind of divided love, their divided loyalties. And so Rebecca here continues that. She devises this plan uh, to see that Jacob would get the blessing and the inheritance in the place of his oldest son Esau. Well, Rebecca quickly calls in her favoured son Jacob and she kits him up uh, for a cunning ruse. She dresses him in Esau's clothes and uh, Esau's hairy, so she puts goat skin on the back of uh, on his exposed skin so that uh, so that Isaac will be convinced. She also gives Jacob the meal that Isaac had asked Esau to bring, and well equipped by. Uh, his mother for this deception, Jacob goes in to see his father. At first, Isaac seems to suspect that something's not quite right. First of all, he's come back a little bit too quickly. Uh, what's going on with that? But Jacob lies through his uh, uh, lies completely. He says, oh no, God, God gave me uh, the blessing. He made sure that I could get something. Jacob says, well, it sounds, uh, Isaac says, well, it sounds like Jacob's voice, but then when he touches the back of Jacob's goatskin-covered hands, he thinks, ah, well, he is a bit hairy, maybe it is him after all. Still, Isaac wants confirmation. He doesn't want to be taken in, and he asks Jacob in verse 24, are you really my son Esau? 
And Jacob lies again. Yes, absolutely. And yet still Isaac isn't convinced. And so he asks Jacob to come near and to kiss him. And when Isaac smells the smell of Esau's clothing, he's convinced and he blesses Jacob. He says, The smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. It's a great blessing, isn't it? But it's gone to the wrong son. There's so much going on here which is just plain wrong. No one comes out of this affair looking good. For a start, Isaac is determined to bless the wrong son. He's determined to bless Esau, even though he knows that it's God's plan that Jacob should get the blessing. Back in Genesis 25, before either Jacob or Esau was born, God had told Rebekah that Jacob, not Esau, would be the one who would receive God's great promises. But Isaac seems determined to ignore that and to do his own thing. He's determined to ignore it and yet he's tricked and he ends up doing unwittingly the very thing that he's determined not to do. He ends up doing unwittingly the very thing that God had planned and purposed for him to do. Isaac thought that he could overturn God's plan and purpose. But here's the thing, we can't do that. We can't overturn God's plan and purpose and we're silly to think that we can. Isaac perhaps thought that if he hurried it along, that if he didn't let anyone else know, that it would work. But it didn't work. God's not that silly. What the Bible calls sin is really just a word to describe our attempts to overturn the plan and purpose of God. God says, do this, and we do the opposite. He says, look after the world that I've made, (laughs) and we rape and pillage it. He says, show compassion to the stranger, to the widow, to the alien, to the foreigner, and we treat them with contempt and suspicion. God says, don't take advantage of people, and we take advantage of them. God says, honour me above all else, and we honour God least of all. God says, love me, and we hate him. I don't like your plan, we say to God. I'm going to do my own thing. That's what Isaac said, and that's what we say. We try and reshape the world by our way of thinking rather than receiving the world as it really is, as a good gift from God. It's like trying to swim against a rip. It's really, really hard work. You don't end up getting anywhere and if you keep doing it, you'll die. We try and overturn the plan and purpose of God, but God always wins. And thankfully God wins because God's plans are always better than our plans. Because God knows so much more about the world than we do. 
Well, Isaac doesn't come uh, out of this affair looking very good. He tries to overturn the, overturn the plan and purpose of God and it doesn't work. But on the other hand, Rebecca and Jacob are not much better. They're determined to try and, try and bring about the plan and purpose of God through deceit and through lies and through uh, deception. They couldn't bring themselves to trust that God would do what he'd said without taking things into their own hands. Rebecca and Jacob made the mistake of trying to work out God's plans through deceit. And they ended up dividing the family. The history of the church is littered with those kinds of examples of stories of Christians who've tried to make God's plans happen through engaging in less than ideal means, through engaging in sinful activities. Think of the Crusades, perhaps. It's the Robin Hood morality, stealing from the rich to give to the poor. The ends justifies the means. We make money dishonestly or by shortchanging people, but it's okay because we give it to the work of the church. And after all, isn't it better that the church succeeds than that person gets a good deal? We try and affect social policy by manipulating political leaders and holding them to ransom. You do this or we'll make your life hell. We grow the church not by preaching the gospel but by subtly changing the message or by selling someone something else instead. Instead of calling people to turn from evil and seek forgiveness in Jesus Christ, we call them to flee from loneliness perhaps, and be part of something bigger. We don't need to do those kinds of things, though. We don't need to try and make God's plans work out through deceit, deception, or other things. We can trust God. We can trust that God is in control, and we can trust that God will work out his plans and purposes in God's good and perfect ways not through our sneaky and underhanded ways. No, there's no hero in this story. There's no role model. Isaac is determined to bless the wrong son. Uh, Sarah and Jacob are determined to uh, get their way regardless of how they have to do it. And Esau, as we'll see in a moment, isn't much better either. No, if there's a hero of the story, it's God. Out of the evil machinations of people, God is doing his, his, bringing about his great plan. He's bringing his great plan to fruition. Isaac try, tries to frustrate God's plan, but God does what he wants. Rebecca and Jacob try to bring about God's plan in the wrong way, and God even uses their evil to achieve his great purposes. God will fulfill his purposes in spite of our sin in spite of our flawed attempts to stop them, or in spite of our flawed attempts to help things along. And what a tremendous encouragement that is, I think, to know that God will do what he is going to do, irrespective of how we might muck it up. So you might muck up the life of your children somehow, but if God's plan and purpose is for your children to come to Christ, then nothing will stop that. Not even your worst mistakes can ruin that. 
You might destroy your marriage. You might destroy somebody else's marriage. You might destroy your business. Or you might destroy somebody else's business. You might muck up your own life. You might be thrown into prison. Who knows? You might be utterly disgraced. But not even your worst mistakes can destroy the plan and purpose of God. God can bring you back. And he can save others despite your catastrophic mistakes. And he can even save you and others through your catastrophic mistakes. Like with Rebecca and Jacob's deceit, God can use our sin to achieve his great plan and purpose. He can redeem the years that the locusts have eaten. In the cross, God achieved his great redemption for those who trust in him through the evil of men and women, like us, who put his own son to death. The greatest good in the world came through the greatest evil. God can even redeem your evil and my evil. It's not that God promises that nothing will ever go wrong. It's not a promise that you can stuff things up and that your life and the life of others won't be marred by that. Like Isaac and Sarah and Jacob and Esau, you might completely muck up the family. It might be rent in two. But God can still do good, even in that situation. God can still work out his great plan and purpose. And thank God that God can still do that. So Isaac tries to subvert God's plan. Rebecca and Jacob try to make God's plan happen in the wrong way. But what about Esau? Esau seems like the innocent party. He's the one who's diddled. His mother and his brother have duped him. And because of his father's determination to do the wrong thing, to bless the wrong son, Esau's left with nothing. No sooner has Isaac finished blessing Jacob when Esau comes in from the field. He offers his father some of his hard-won food, but it's too late, he's already eaten. Jacob's already been there. Isaac can't work out what's going on. He says, who are you? And Esau says, who do you think I am? I'm Esau, your son, your firstborn son, the one that you sent out into the field to get some food. When Isaac realises that he's been tricked, he's furious. He trembles violently. But notice Esau's reaction. When he realises what's happened, he's not angry. He's devastated. He weeps bitterly, we're told in verse 34. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he can't because there's nothing left. Isaac says, I've made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants and I have sustained him with grain and new, new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau's desperate. Is there nothing left? Do you have only one blessing, he says, my father? Bless me too. Surely there's something left. But there's nothing left except the dregs. 
In verse 39, Isaac gives Esau what blessing he can. He says, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. It's not really a blessing. It's actually an anti-blessing. He'll live by the sword, he'll be poor, he'll serve his brother, though at some point there's a hope that that might end. Esau wants to be blessed, but there's nothing left. There's, There's not even a tiny bit left. Esau blames Jacob for deceiving him twice. He says in verse 36, isn't he rightly called Jacob? He's deceived me these two times. He took my birthright. Now he's taken my blessing. But Esau is self-deceived. Esau was the one who had willingly traded his birthright, the right to his inheritance. He willfully traded that for a bowl of stew. And what is happening now is the end result of that. We might think that Esau is the helpless bystander, but these events need to be seen through the lens of what had happened earlier. Esau had treated his inheritance with absolute disregard. And now that comes back to bite him. What he had given up for nothing, he now realises that he desperately wants. What he'd sold for a bowl of stew, he now realises is the most precious thing to him in the world. But tragically, it's too late. If you were here last week, you might remember that the writer of Hebrews takes up this story and he says, don't be like Esau, don't do it, don't be like Esau, don't trade the the promises of God, don't trade that for a bowl of stew. Don't trade it for trivialities and nothing. But the writer of Hebrews also goes on and says, don't be like Esau in another way. Don't be like Esau who found no opportunity for repentance. He says in chapter 12, 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Bless me too, my father. No. There's nothing left. It's too late. Isn't there anything? No. There's nothing left. Don't be like Esau, who realised too late what it was that he really wanted. Don't be like Esau, who once he realised... who only realised once the blessing had been given that there was nothing left. Don't be like Esau and say to yourself, I'll trade on God's goodness now and I'll turn back to God later. Because you may never get the chance. Don't say like Esau, I want to live a bit first and then God can have me. I'll have the best years of my life for myself. And then in my twilight years, 
I'll turn back to God. Because God can take your life away at a moment's notice. You're driving down the highway, a car swerves from the other side, hits you head on, and in a moment you meet God. And there's no opportunity for repentance. The time has gone. You're walking along the footpath, car mounts the curb, hits you, struck dead in a moment. You're sitting at home watching the television, a blood vessel in your brain ruptures, you suffer a massive stroke. In a moment you meet God and it's too late. You might be trading on God's blessings now in the hope of turning to God later on. But don't do it. Because you may never have the chance that you think you might have to turn back to God. Don't be like Esau who sold the gospel for a bowl of stew and then found no chance to get back what he'd sold. But the writer of Hebrews also says, don't be like Esau, not only because you'll miss out, but also because there stands at present such a wonderful opportunity, such a wonderful opportunity for repentance and reconciliation with God. Don't miss out, the writer of Hebrews says, because you have not come to a mountain which can be touched, to a mountain that's blazing with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further words be spoken to them. Because they couldn't bear what was being commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. You haven't come to a mountain which is terrifying and fearful. You haven't come to a mountain to a God who is standoffish, to a God that's hostile, to a God that can't be approached. You haven't come to a God who demands perfection. And righteousness for us to approach him. No, we haven't, we haven't come to that God. No, we haven't come there. You have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Don't miss out. Don't be like Esau, because you have come to Jesus Christ. You've come to the welcome for sinners. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You've come to forgiveness and reconciliation and freedom. You've come to the good news that Christ has died for sinners of whom I am the foremost. You've come to the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You have come to the good news that Christ died for the ungodly once for all, to bring us to God. Don't be like Esau, 
who thought he had it stitched up. I'll just go into the field, I'll get the meal, I'll bring it back and it will be mine. And it was taken away from him. And he could find no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Don't be like Esau. A day is coming when it will be too late. Don't wait. Do business with God today. Don't miss out because God stands with open arms, ready to receive those who come to him through Jesus Christ. Don't miss out because you haven't come to an ogre, to a mean God. You've come to a loving God who gave up his only son and who welcomes those who come to him through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that even in the lives of sinful people like Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Esau, you're working out your great plan and purpose. And Lord, thank you that even in the lives of sinful people like us, you are working out your great plan and purpose. Lord, thank you that you are able to overcome our sin in the cross of Jesus Christ to bring forgiveness and reconciliation. Thank you that you are able to overcome our sin and still achieve your great plan and purpose. And Lord, thank you that you are able even to use our sin to achieve your good plans. Father, please help us to trust you in that. Lord, help us to rest our lives in you. But Father, help us not to Follow the example of uh, the people in this story. Lord, help us not to take your grace and your mercy for granted, but help us every day, Lord, to seek to live according to your will, following Jesus Christ, our precious Saviour. But Lord, most of all, we pray that you'd help us not to be like Esau, Lord, help us not to wait until the very end, but to seek your great love and mercy now. Lord, thank you that we haven't come to a terrifying mountain, to darkness, gloom and storm, to trumpet blasts, and to such fearful and terrifying words that those who heard them begged that they wouldn't, wouldn't hear. Lord, thank you that in Jesus Christ we have come to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. Thank you that we've come to a mediator who stands before you in our place. Thank you that we've come to sprinkled blood which cleanses us from even the deepest stains of our sins and can make us pure and holy, spotless and perfect in Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.